Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back, as is Jacob Tender. Today we are going to be talking about Stranger Things 2, but before we dive into that, I want to let you all know that today's episode is sponsored by Loot Crate. You can head over to www.trylootcrate.com forward slash geekdompod, and if you enter the code BRIDGE10, you'll get 10% off. I'll tell you a bit more about what you can expect in a Loot Crate box later on in the show, but right now we are going to dive in. Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty well. I am way ahead on the podcast game, so you know it'll be a few weeks before people listen to this, but I feel like it'll still be relevant because not everyone watches Netflix shows maybe as quickly as you and I do, so that kind of brings me to my first question how quickly did you watch this did you get it all done on friday was it just you know a two-day thing for you no last week was nuts uh i had i had a bunch of midterm exams that were leading up into the weekend i had a big uh like humanities written exam that i had to do over the weekend um in conjunction with a couple of halloween parties and my girlfriend's birthday it was actually this past weekend so i took her out for dinner which meant that i was not able to actually watch any of stranger things until sunday afternoon okay yeah for me because i was recapping it for hidden remote i had to get at least one recap in on friday because they want you to like at least get something in before Mm -hmm. you know the day ends of the day it gets posted to netflix and what i ended up doing was i recapped it in three episode chunks since it was nine episodes I was like all right I don't want to do nine recaps because when I did the defenders I did a recap for every single episode and that was just a a ton of work and it really slowed down how quickly I could get through the show because I was watching an episode writing about it watching and writing and for this I could at least get through three episodes then take a break and it was broken up much more nicely for me so I think I got through seven episodes, actually, the first day, and then finished the last two on Saturday, (laughs) perks of not having anything to do on Friday. (laughs) So it worked out nicely. No, it's such a bingeable season. I wanted to get through it a lot quicker than I did, but, you know, commitments. So, yeah, I I, I felt like I I definitely got through this a lot quicker than I did season one. Um, I mean, as as you know, because you were bugging me about it for months, (laughs) I started Stranger Things and I was doing kind of like what you were doing with your reviews. I was doing the episode to episode thing when I did the podcast with James, but I think that stopped like three episodes in maybe, maybe four. I think. And then, yeah, then I think like, honestly, like seven, seven or eight months passed until I actually caught up. I, I don't think I finished Stranger Things until... That was a couple months ago, sometime this summer. Did you have to go back and watch those first few episodes to sort of remember what happened? Or did you still have like notes from the podcast or something that you could just refresh yourself with? Uh, Well, I had actually watched the first three episodes before James agreed to do the podcast with me. So I ended up watching those ones like two or three times a piece just so that I could, you know, like pull pull notes and and pull images like screenshots and stuff for the artwork and all that but I had a pretty good understanding of those yeah and I've seen I don't want to necessarily say mixed reviews on this season because I feel like for the most part it's been extremely positive and then an episode we'll talk about later is sort of like the one that has the most mixed feelings about it but they introduced some new characters in this season, and while they aren't 
you know, main, main characters, I think Max is the one we see the most of. And then Billy and Bob and Dr. Owens are kind of here and there. I don't recall seeing much of Dr. Owens in the first season because I feel like there were so many different people at Hawkins Lab that I didn't necessarily keep track of all of them, but I'm pretty sure he's also a new character too, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was not in season one. Yeah, yeah, he was new to the season for sure. He was. I think the idea with his character was that he was kind of brought in to sort of replace Papa right. from season one. Yeah, and he kind of changed the way that things were managed a little bit. But Paul Reiner, great, great, great role for Paul Reiner. He was very Paul Reiner in this movie, or in this this season. He's, you know, you, you're kind of looking at this character and you're like, okay, like, our experience with this lab is bad. We know that those guys last time were considered the bad guys. So is he good? Is he bad? That's something that, like, Paul Reiner's character uh, is sort of reflective of a lot of the stuff that he did in the 70s and 80s, kind of like at the, the, the beginning of his, the height of his career. He played a lot of characters where you're like, is he good? Is he bad? I'm not really sure. And that was definitely true for Stranger Things too, as well. Yeah, he definitely tiptoed the line in this one because you see him with Nancy and Jonathan and he is sort of like, yeah, these things happened and we aren't going to talk about it sort of thing. And then he takes them to the observing room, I guess you could call it, because it's yeah. basically this giant piece of glass separating them and the entrance to the upside down and the tunnels and everything and then later he sort of redeems himself because he helps the others get out when the building is under attack by what Dustin ends up calling demodogs instead of demogorgons this time so you know it takes them a while to give the creatures a new name but they have a new name in this season because they're on all fours this time and yeah. running around literally like dogs <laughs> yeah sort of like uh sort of like the alien in a alien three it, ca it came out of a cow and it was you know it was it, it, it crawled around on all fours it was a lot faster it was sort of a, a cool play in the original bad guy but yeah with dr owens i i thought one of the more interesting uh, dynamics with with his story this season was uh, when, like you said, when he is talking to the kid, the the help me out here, uh, uh, Nancy and Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan, right? When when they're talking to him and they're you know they're doing the recording and everything. Oh yeah, should we should we say spoilers? Like it's probably implied, right? But yeah, yeah, I'll I'll put it in the uh, notes there and everything. So people can okay. at least read it before they start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. If you're if you've listened this far, spoilers, obviously. Um, <laughs> but when Nancy and Jonathan are are talking to him about basically, you know, what happened to Barb, uh, and you know, the whole the whole tragedy that befell Barb, and they're trying to get the story out, they are actively working against Jonathan's younger brother's interest because even though Doctor Owens kind of seems shady and he's trying to cover all this stuff up it does seem that he's actually trying to get to the root of what's wrong with Will and why he's so like connected and like haunted by his experience in the upside down. Right. So that was kind of a, a neat little, uh, neat little twist where Jonathan was actually, you know, Jonathan who was a super supportive and loving brother was actually doing something against his brother's interest. 
and I don't think they really like played that up a lot, but for like a couple of episodes, you're wondering like, oh shoot, like how is that going to go? Yeah. And before we dive into more of the story, I do want to touch on a few of the other new characters because I feel like there's quite a bit to pick apart with each one because then we have Mm -hmm. Bob, who is sort of the new (laughs) goofy dad figure for Will because he and Joyce have been going out for, it seems like, a good amount of time. And he is kind of the only one treating Will like he's a regular kid. And that in large part is because they have clearly told the town that Will got lost in the woods, which is certainly not what happened. And you know that because you hear the kids saying it at school and that's sort of the rumor going around and he's being called zombie boy because people think he died in the woods and came back after a (laughs) week basically so it's one of those Mm -hmm. things where because bob doesn't know all of the details he's not treating will as differently as joyce or jonathan or his friends are and i think that's something that makes him feel slightly better about his situation because he even says as much that you know bob is the only one treating him sort of like a normal person and like nothing happened bob is is a great character for so many reasons that included you know i think like when you when you look at bob bob is a dork yeah he's a huge (laughs) dork he's essentially the future of the losers club you know I think they even made reference to that towards the end that Bob was the reason that the AV club existed right? at Hawkins. So that's, you know, that's cool. Like Bob is obviously a dork. He talked about that and, you know, talked about being super lucky to, to be dating Will's mom and, and also it's Sean Astin. <laughs> He's the most lovable guy in the world. So, you know, casting him and putting him back in this role of this, you know, this like period piece about these kids that are going on this adventure, um, you know, harkens back to a lot of the movies that Stranger Things likes to reference. And and The Goonies has always been a big one of those. And of course, Sean Astin was in The Goonies. So, you know, hearing him talk about Pirate Treasure was was super fun for fans of that show or of that, of that movie. And Sean Astin just, he crushed it. He crushed it. And from what I've heard, he really like helped form that character even more because originally bob i guess bob wasn't supposed to have a very big role in this season just sort of like you know just a, a supportive person for joyce to have and it was because of sean astin's involvement that bob kind of evolved into this more um staple and eventually uh sort of a, a tragic hero in the end Yeah. And to top it off, he works at Radio Shack. So it's like, you know, he's like the ultimate nerd in this, even though the kids are already extremely nerdy. And you see that with even the end of his character that we see later on. He is the only one who can reboot the computer system because apparently it's not as simple as just turning it back on. Like, you know, it kind of is these days with laptops. It's like, all right, just turn it off, turn it back on. You're good. Type in your password and that's it. But, you know, he had to know basic and all of these other things and everyone (laughs) just looked around the room like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's a great character, you know, so clever there at the end. Like, you know, he didn't he didn't need to use the gun. Instead, like he used his brains and he used, you know, the sprinkler system to defend off the monsters like just so, so innocent in a way yeah. and that that made it all the worse when you know he met his demise but great character i'm so glad that they got him 
for the show. It, I guess he actually he like sent in a tape to audition. Like it was he was really about being in the show. He liked it that much. So very very cool. But what did you think? Okay, you, you mentioned Max and Billy. Mm-hmm. What did you think about Billy? You know, he is one of those characters where he's a jerk on purpose, but then we also sort of see why he's acting that way because it's very clear that whatever happened back in California with Max and her dad is sort of the reason why they ended up moving to Hawkins. Although I don't know how you necessarily get from California to Hawkins, but that's, you know, (laughs) a, a separate thing there because... Hawkins is in it's in Indiana right Mm. so those are two very 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 different places I would imagine I've never been to Indiana but I'm just you know giving it my best guess there and you can tell from the start that Billy doesn't really want to be there but he also still wants to sort of be the king of the high school (laughs) and that sort of thing because he feels like he's pretty much better than everyone else and then we get that scene later with his dad when max isn't home and you know i had someone ask me if i thought the sort of domestic abuse storyline extended to anyone outside of just billy and i didn't entirely get that impression it more so felt like max's mom felt bad for billy and that's why she kind of had that look on her face but you know It's one of those things where he's there to serve a very specific purpose. And even though we aren't really meant to like him, he does it extremely well. Yeah. Billy scared me. He legitimately scared me. I I was familiar with the actor's face when I first saw him. And I was like, where the hell did I see this guy? And it wasn't until I looked on IMDb that I I recognized that he was from that really bad Power Rangers movie that came out this (laughs) past year. I I didn't see that. So... He was one of the better actors in in the movie, okay. but uh, in this show, he legitimately scared me. I don't know if it was the eyebrows, the hair, the sadistic, sociopathic nature of his gait. Uh, I, I don't I don't know what it was, but he legitimately scared me. Some combination of those traits they they actually frightened me when I when he came on screen. Just like the, his movements and the way that he would react to things, like sort you know that kind of like hairpin temper um you know the way that he interacted with max was was sort of troubling and before we figured out exactly what their dynamic was i was kind of like what is going on here you know this is actually kind of scary but in a way his character definitely needed to exist um i wasn't really sure why for a while i'm like you know why do we need like another bully like how is he going to play into the greater narrative here is he just sort of like a foil to Bob is, you know, is he just something to add more drama to Max's character? She becomes more important in the group. Um, but then as we kind of got into Steve's progression as a character, mm-hmm. I kind of saw like, okay, there there is a role for this sort of attitude in the town. You know, there has to there has to be a king. It's a high, it's a story about middle and high schoolers and the Midwest. So there has to be a king of the school. And uh, and Billy definitely filled the role that Steve sort of had at the beginning of season one. Yeah. And Steve was not nearly as terrifying as Billy no. is. So <laughs> it's going to have a, dif- a much different dynamic going forward if they do, you know, 
keep him around at least as much as he was in season two, I would say, if not having him around a little more. But you mentioned his dynamic with Max, and we see right away that there's some sort of tension between the two as he, you know, tells her, if you're late again, you'll be walking or skating home. And, you know, she is sort of looking like she would probably prefer that instead of getting in the car with Billy, which, you know, I Mm. don't entirely blame her. And it's one of those things where he shuttles her around because he has to, not because he wants to be that stepbrother to her or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And his hate for Lucas is just so strong. I think that's definitely where I see more of that terrifying personality in him because we later see him go after lucas at will's house and then he beats the crap out of steve and that is like the moment you really see the switch flip with him because you get sort of these little glimpses of it all throughout and then that moment is where he just totally loses it yeah what did you think you know on the topic of of lucas billy and lucas did you sense any like greater uh did you get any like racist vibes from him there? Because it was, it was sort of weird that, you know, he was like really against Max hanging out with Lucas. Like at first it's just like, Oh, you know, like I don't want you hanging out with that person. You can't figure out why, because we're still not sure what the relationship between Max and Billy is. But then once he sees them together, like a couple more times, like he, he makes a couple comments that make it sound like there's more of a racial motivation behind his reasoning there. Yeah. It did feel that way because he was, soloing out Lucas he didn't say don't hang out with you know that group of friends and Mm -hmm. it would have been interesting to me if they would have shown Max with Dustin for one of those moments where Billy came to pick her up or something to just to see if he would have said the same thing with Dustin being the one hanging out with her yeah I I I saw an article today um where the actor kind of talked about that because I I think that's something else that other people picked up um Maybe I'll send that link and you can put it in your show notes. But that was just sort of something interesting that I picked up on. And, and I wasn't sure if that was something that was kind of universal or, or meant to, to happen. But yeah, that was kind of weird. So yeah, I, I guess new character wise, that's those were like the four big ones, right? Were there any other new characters at all in this season? Not that I could really. Well, okay. I guess there's, a, there's like Eleven's new gang, but we can save that for that that later bit yeah and then there's the journalist too or ex-journalist whatever you want to call him murray oh, yeah Bauman. yeah he was great yeah and he, he was, was only in i want to say like two or three episodes and most of his interactions came with nancy and jonathan which i think we'll touch on that a little more but i think as far as some of the more major new characters these four were pretty much it and max obviously had the biggest role and you know we're going to talk about her quite a bit more when we get into you know like the different relationships that characters formed this season and everything like that so yeah i think we can go ahead and just jump right into those and I do first want to start with Eleven and Hopper since that's sort of yeah something we see at the very beginning and no one else knows about it so it feels like this big secretive thing to everyone but the audience and I think you know Hopper trying to be a dad figure again is something that's interesting because we never see him really with his daughter since she has been gone for 
quite some time now. And Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where because of how complicated Eleven's character is and everything she's gone through, it's not like, you know, he's just trying to raise this kid who is going to school and doing normal kid things. She literally cannot leave the cabin that he ends up staying in. Oh, man. Hopper last season was my favorite character, hands down. And what we got from him this season was so fantastic because it gave it gave us a chance to, like you say, see him in a father figure role. Yeah. But it wasn't just for Eleven. Like I, I saw a lot of moments like, you know, he's really there and he's really supportive of Will and his mother as well. Yeah. And then there's a really great moment between him and Mike towards the very end, which is which was really touching. And what's interesting in this show is that Hopper, who we know to be, you know, uh, a father who lost a kid and somebody who, um, you know, we pity because he thinks that he's cursed. Like he thinks that losing his family was because of him, not just because of, of chance or bad luck or whatever it is. So seeing Hopper being, uh, you know, like a really supportive parent figure in this show is, is super, super striking because if if you look at all of the other parents in the show, they're pretty much out of the picture. In fact, in season one, you know, we saw Mike's parents, and of course, of course, we saw Joyce, and we met uh, Will's father as well. But the other parents, like, we never see them. We right. didn't start seeing them at all until this season. But even when we do see them, they're so out of touch with what their kids are doing. They're they're terrible parents. I mean, they're really really bad. Mike's parents never know where their children are. <laughs> Uh, Dustin's mom is more concerned about the cat. And I think we, we got to see Lucas's mom maybe like once or twice. Yeah, they I were eating season, breakfast but like, at the table for one of them. And Lucas, you know, like tries to get some girl advice from his dad. And the mom walks in. And oh, yeah. That sort of that seems pretty funny. And Erica, the little sister, is... She's a very, really very good addition, even though she's only in like a few scenes at most. And, you know, that's why I didn't really put them in the new character realm, because yeah. it's like, yes, they're new, but they've sort of always existed. We just didn't get to see them. And it's one of those things where I definitely know what you mean by saying Hopper isn't just a father figure to L, And he's sort of like the protector of all of these kids after everything that happened Mm -hmm. in season one. And, you know, because he's this big dude in comparison to literally like everyone else on the show, it sort of really fits with the casting and how they wrote the character and everything like that. And, you know, that scene with Mike, Mike is just so upset with him that he had 11 and was hiding her from everyone. And, you know, he lashes out, but then he, you can see him coming to his senses and sort of understanding why Hopper did what he did, even though he needs to sort of get all of that anger out first. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a great moment. It's, you know, and it also shows just how great, like, Finn is as an actor. Like, he's such a, he's such a good little actor. I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited to see what he does with his career. But, Hopper, again, like this season, he crushed it. He absolutely crushed it. Um, 
with these other little characters that are added in, like Lucas's sister, like she's added for a purpose. All of these characters that we got to know and love in season one are getting fleshed out a little more. There's a little more time to dive into these kids' families and, you know, bring in those dynamics. And when you, when you put yourself in the shoes of these kids, like take yourself back to their age and like, you know, this is the time when girls start becoming interesting to guys and vice versa. And, with Lucas, you know, he's found a crush and, you know, there's a little competition between him and Dustin there. And that's, that's where like tensions can start to rise between friends when you start growing up. Mm -hmm. And of course, like you've got to have a little sister to give you heck. Like (laughs) you you just need to, like I, I, so much of, you know, like the, the, the shit that Lucas's sister was throwing towards him and all the, the, the snide jokes and all that. It just takes me back to when I was a kid and my sister, my sister giving me hell whenever I even mentioned a girl's name, you know, all you had to do was mention a girl's name and they're like, Ooh, you know, just, just being a little sister. So the family dynamics in the show definitely grew quite a bit. You know, you had Bob coming, kind of coming in as a, a semi father figure to, to Jonathan and Will one that they, you know, they didn't distrust somebody that they knew that they could, you know, trust him at least more than their own dad um even though he was super dorky and really into mr mom um the family dynamics in this show definitely grew a lot and i think that you needed that i think that really gave more gravitas to the growing tensions in the show you know with the the upside down uh bad guy what what are they calling him the mind flayer yeah yeah so the stakes are the stakes are higher which means that you also sort of have to um you, you have to cultivate that that world a little bit more so that you care about it a little bit more um that definitely saw a a huge uptick this season i loved it i loved every bit of it exactly plus with bob and joyce one of the other factors of him being such a great character was he sort of brought this calming presence to joyce who is this really you know paranoid mom after everything that happened to will and we still see a lot of that in this season you know she races off to the school and they find will having one of his like night terror vision type things in the middle of the field and yeah they they just call them episodes but it it feels like to will they're so much worse than just calling it an episode or something like that Mm -hmm. because he's pretty much living in this sort of alternate reality for a while and with bob you know you have that scene where he walks in the house and he sees the paper everywhere with like the you know tunnels that will is drawing and he sort of looks around and is like okay (laughs) and then you know joyce is freaking out and he sort of just really starts to help them and get to work on figuring out what it is and he's ultimately the one who does figure it out because he's like oh this is here and this is here and this is a giant map of hawkins and like Mm -hmm. you know he's just so curious about it but they don't let him ask questions really they're just like well we need to figure this out it's not that they don't let him they he doesn't ask that's why he's different than a lot of men Uh, you know men in general and men that you find on tv like men want to know the answers and the thing the nice thing about bob and the reason that he's so great for joyce is that he doesn't ask these questions He, he knows when to leave well enough alone and he just he plays along Yeah, I think he does start to ask a couple things, just sort of like, you know, like, what is this? And Joyce is like, no questions. And he just doesn't even question that. He just 
you know, after he tries to ask a question or two, he's like, okay, this is pointless. Let me just do this. And mm-hmm. like you said, that is something that makes him such a good partner for Joyce because, you know, he will sort of indulge her in her craziness at times. And he then knows when to sort of just not be you know, so panicked about everything. And he is really just this totally calming presence in comparison to like everyone else in that house, pretty much. Yeah. Well, you know, he he's he's still rational because he's yet to experience demons. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't met a monster. Like he doesn't know anything about, you know, these alternate dimensions. He's still like super obsessed with VHSC. Like he's he's really into technology and and facts and of course he's a dork so like he also knows about maps and how to you know triangulate locations and like he's a dork and that's what they need and and Joyce needs somebody that's able to kind of even out her Winona Ryderness and he does that good character yeah that scene was just a really great one too because you have him you know telling them to measure the distance from this point to this point and even after a few of them, Joyce is like, do you really need this? He's like, yes, if you want to figure this out, we need this. And he's just, you know, the voice of reason in that scene. And that's what allows them to figure it out and then go, you know, try to fix everything basically after mm-hmm. that point. But it also that that scene also kind of showed a little bit of a breakthrough with Joyce because, you know, she's she's always been guarded, you know, even yeah. before Will disappeared. We know that she's guarded because of you know, her former relationships. And in that moment where she almost sent him away with his board games and his soup or whatever, uh, and she calls him back, like that's that's a huge breakthrough moment with Joyce where she decided to not tell him everything, but sort of let him in to help. Like, and, and she accepted that she, she needed that help. That was a huge moment for Joyce. And unfortunately, like I, I do feel bad. Like I felt bad for Joyce at the end of the season Yeah, for losing Bob. And that's a huge, that's a far cry from how I felt about Joyce last season because I really disliked her character in the first season. She was just too, too much, too, too Winona writer for me. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you can tell it's going to happen when it does because you have Bob running through the set of doors and Joyce and Hopper at the, exit basically and they sort of just stare at each other a little too long and in that moment you're like oh this isn't going to end well (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) you you always know when they're showing like when it zooms out on a character and you see too much of the space on either side of them you know that they're gonna get hit with something (laughs) and it's one of those things where you're kind of like well if they didn't stare at each other for so long they could have both gotten out of there but at the same time, that might not have served the story as well as this sort of ending for Bob does. And then it does make us feel bad for Joyce, which I don't think that's something we really ever did in season one, even though her kid was missing and ended upside down. You know, <laughs> it's like she was so over yeah. the top about everything. It's like a light would flicker and she would just like freak out and think it was Will. <laughs> and, you know, every time the phone rang and we got so much and she wasn't even wrong yeah that's the thing she wasn't even wrong the entire time she was right and we all just we were just like okay that's that's enough settle down yeah but i do want to talk about quite a few of the relationships with the kids because we have a lot of different dynamics with 
these characters. Mm -hmm. And Nancy and Steve are sort of the ones I want to start with because you see them get together in season one. And at the same time, you sort of know that it might not last. And they pretty much confirm that in this season. <laughs> so it's one of those things where I it's not that Steve was like horrible to her by any means, but it just really felt like they didn't quite have the same dynamic that Nancy and Jonathan have because they've known each other forever because of their younger mm -hmm. brothers. So it's one of those things where I think they made the right move with that. What did you think of, you know, yeah. the stuff with Nancy and Steve ending? And they don't ever really talk about it either. Steve just kind of ends up being like, I know, Nancy, I know. And, you know, he sort of gets yeah. on with it. And you even see in the month after, he longingly looks at Nancy because he misses her. But at the same time, he knows, you know, it wasn't destined to work out, basically. Sure. I mean, if you look at season one, uh, you know, the, the defining moment of Nancy and Steve's budding relationship was that pool party. You know, the the parents being gone, they're all at the, the house. I think, you know, that's probably the first time that Nancy and Steve become intimate. So that's a really big moment for her. Uh, Steve was sort of like the bad boy character that time, which is it's it's a contrast to, to Nancy's yeah. character because she was, you know, this one of the smart, goody, good, you know, well-behaved children and she she saw this bad bad boy who had an interest in her and that's kind of how their relationship started so after the events of season one when she's looking back on her friend barb who was such a staple for her in her former life um and when she disappeared at that party which was again the you know the kind of the the beginning of her relationship with steve mixing that with alcohol and you know, just the normal pressures of being a teenager, like all of those stresses, the the conventional and the unconventional, they they mount and that it comes to a point where she says things that she probably does, in fact, mean while she's yeah. inebriated. And, you know, Steve takes that to heart. And that's it, it's a pretty natural sort of move to, to break up at that point. You know, I, I think they played that out how it probably would play out in a normal party high school atmosphere. You know, it's, it's very, true, very true to life. It's just exacerbated by this crazy supernatural experience that they both went through. So I think a lot of it has to do more with, you know, Nancy's guilt over right. Barb and, 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 you know, just more of like the, like the, the foundation of their relationship being based on, her lost friend and all of these traumatic experiences, like it'd be very, very hard to continue a relationship going past that. But at the same time, like we see Steve really growing in his character and becoming a better person and a more supportive person. So that's why it, it kind of hurts to see that relationship breaking up because we like Steve yeah. now and we like Nancy and we want them to like try to get through it because they have been through these terrible things together. But realistically, it's just not going to work. And as much as Steve might want it to, like, I think Nancy wants to put that stuff behind her because losing Barb was a really big deal for her. And Steve is just a constant reminder of that. Right. Plus, she goes to Jonathan for help with, you know, getting justice for Barb and everything like that. And it isn't even really that moment that pushes the two of them together. It's 
much later when they've already recorded the tape of Dr. Owens admitting, you know, the wrongdoing and everything like that. And then they go and visit Murray, who sort of picks them apart after they've worked out all of the tape stuff and, you know, mm-hmm. address the envelopes and everything to send those out he just sits there and picks them apart like he's known them forever and it's one (laughs) of those moments where he just gets so far inside their head that he pushes them together in that moment and you see them sort of go back and forth and then like go back to their separate beds and then a second time and it's like okay this you know this is going to happen they're not going to just keep walking up to each other and walking away and so it wasn't even the breakup with steve that triggered that you know i think in the back of their mind they always knew it but didn't necessarily want to neither of them really wanted to be the one to act on it so you have murray Mm -hmm. who is this hilarious extra character in this season and you know, he is just so different from everyone else that they know, too, where he might be sort of this, you know, flame out, flamed out journalist. And, you know, he's sort of just trying to get whoever he can to hire him for work now. And you look at his place and it's kind of in this really strange area and (laughs) all of this stuff. And he's just someone new who is able to pick them apart so quickly that he has an outside perspective. Yeah. And because he's able to pick them apart so quickly, it's like they're very inclined to believe that he's right about it all because, you know, he's not someone who's known, or at least think about it. He's not someone who's known them their entire lives, like pretty much everyone in Hawkins. So it's a totally different dynamic when he's the one pointing these things out. Yeah. Well, I mean with Nancy and Jonathan, like obviously their families are close enough, you know, between the kids and you know there's probably some friendship or was some friendship between the parents at some point as well um nancy and jonathan to start were very similar they were more reserved they're more you know like into their studies and to their own hobbies and in that way they had very similar personalities and then when nancy starts dating steve you know jonathan kind of exhibits some like jealous behavior but it's nothing that he like really shows I think that Nancy and Jonathan were probably supposed to get together at some point. And I think that, you know, the conversation with Murray probably pushed them there a little closer, probably a little sooner than maybe they would have like figured it out for themselves. But like just that, 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 that scene where they're kind of like pacing back and forth and like going out of their room and then going back into the room. It's so, it's so high school, you know, it's so very true to high school in the way that like you're, you're hesitant to like actually come to terms with how you're feeling about another person. So I I thought that was, it was very well written. It was very well done. I thought it came that they came together very naturally. And, you know, there's, there's that part where with, with Steve, you know, that trauma is, is sort of the driving wedge that came between Nancy and Steve, but with Nancy and Jonathan, it's it's not so much a wedge than it is like you know a, like a vice because they share that trauma. She lost Barb and for a time Jonathan lost Will. So there was even some moments in season 1 where they were bonding over that. You know, they're kind of coming together because of those shared traumas. So for Nancy who's really trying to move past that, I think she can she can launch, latch on to Jonathan more because he's trying to do the same. So that was a it was a very funny way for them to come together because again Murray was he's such a good character actor yeah. like 
he's one of those actors where you look at him and you're like, I've definitely seen you in stuff. I cannot place exactly where, but I've definitely seen you in things. But yeah, that was a that was a a fun scene altogether. I love that line at breakfast. It's kind of kind of raunchy, kind of like underhandedly raunchy, but. They're like sitting at the breakfast table, and uh, he asked Jonathan how the pullout his pullout was, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he like chokes on his cereal. It's so funny, so funny. Um, yeah, they were good. Yeah, and the next relationship I want to talk about is the one that Steve and Dustin sort of end up having by the end of this season, because as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. these are the two kids that don't have any siblings. You know, Dustin's mom is, like you said, busy paying more attention to the cat. And with Steve, I don't know if we've even really seen much of his family at all in comparison to everyone else, simply because everyone else seems to have siblings that are involved with a friend group in some way or another. But for these two only children to sort of form an interesting bond because, you know, Steve makes the comment when he and Nancy are looking for heaters in, you know, the pile of stuff that Hopper just threw out of the shed earlier. And he's mm-hmm. he makes a comment about, you know, being a pretty good babysitter, which is ironic considering what happens next and the fact that Max ends up driving <laughs> the car with Steve in the backseat. Yeah. And... <laughs> It's just one of those things where him and Dustin happen to both be at Nancy and Mike's house at the same time. And that's how this little adventure happens with the two of them. You know, Dustin just hops in his car and doesn't even really explain anything to Steve. It's just like, (laughs) you are taking me to my house right now and I will explain later. And that is the start of a pretty entertaining relationship between the two because, you know, Steve is a lot more aware of the consequences of actions in this season. And we see that a lot when Max gets the car to the hole that Hopper had dug earlier to get into the tunnels. And, you know, Steve is very upset that this whole thing has happened, but he also understands that he still needs to protect the kids. And I don't think that scene would have necessarily worked nearly as well if they didn't have that moment with Dustin earlier on where he just hops in the car and then explains dart to Steve. <laughs> yeah, I love that whole relationship between the two of them. I uh how do they say it on Tumblr? I ship that. Yes. Is that, is yes. that right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I I told I I ship that. I think that the the Dustin and Steve thing was so great because really for me Stranger Things 2 was all about Dustin. I thought this season really brought out the best in Dustin great kid great actor great character um the whole thing you know like the the whole gremlins thing that that dustin had going on with dart uh well gremlins slash et i guess you know kind of like hiding away this monster um i I loved all of that but when you brought like steve and dustin together with that at first at the moment at, at mike's mike's house and then later when they're like walking down i think the real moment was when they're walking down the railroad tracks throwing meat out to lure uh dart into a trap and they're like talking you know they're like really like kind of bonding you know they're not just talking about like you know the big stuff like girls and and dating and all that yeah hair. Farrah Fawcett yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it gives him his tips which he ends up using at the end of the season when Steve drops yeah. him off the dance like how how precious is that that's so cute oh loved it 
I, I that whole dynamic was great. I love that Steve really progressed and like really started caring about these kids because like he had no reason to. But you know, Steve's in this place where again, like you say, he, he's starting to learn like about consequences to actions, and he's also kind of been dethroned. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to act like the big man right. on campus anymore because. Billy's taking that. And I don't think he's fighting it. Like there's never a, really a moment in the show where he's like fighting that his his place in the school has been taken from him. I think he's okay to kind of resign himself to uh a smaller uh, entity <laughs> amongst the amongst his peers. So why not hang out with Dustin? Dustin's pretty <laughs> cool, right? You know, I've actually been hearing that a lot of people didn't like Dustin as much this season and I know one of the big things that the kids wanted to do was be able to curse on the show and they were granted that wish basically and we see Dustin doing that a lot throughout and you know I've been seeing some people say that Dustin wasn't thinking things through as much as he would have last season but you have to remember that these kids are in middle school if you could pluck a middle schooler out of 2017, you know, none of them would be thinking very clearly, probably, for every waking mm-hmm. moment of the day. Yeah. Dustin, Dustin, season one, he, he was sort of more methodical and more reserved, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in this season, like, what you have to consider with these characters, like, and I feel like this is really well thought, like, this was super thought out. I think they really like went through the characters with the actors and said, okay, like, this is the mind space. Like, this is this kind of stuff that they're going to be going through. And it helps that these kids are also that age. So they're probably also going through this stuff in their own lives. But with Dustin, he kind of evolves from his character in season one to season two, because there is this new girl. And so now there's this new dynamic between his friend, Lucas, who is also interested in this girl, um, who also, you know, not just, not as only like is attractive and like in, is into the same stuff that he is, but like is better than he is. Dustin has this huge point of pride, which is his ability to play video games. And Max comes in and takes his top score in Dig Dug. And like, that's a huge deal to this kid. So that's something. So that, that leads into this whole other dynamic. And they keep bringing this back up. Like friends don't lie. Like this, this friend group, the party as they call it is super tight. And when you bring this girl into the fold and there's jealousy and then he finds this like critter and the critter ends up being like, you know, like a bad thing, like a triggering thing for Will. And like, you know, he and possibly like, you know, something involved with the upside down and and Mike sort of like coming up with all these theories, like he becomes protective of this thing and he starts to hide it. So there there's this whole new dynamic to Lucas where he has his own self-interest. It's not just about like what's good for the party or what's safe. It's what he wants. He's starting to do what he wants to do. And that's why I thought Dustin was great this season. He came out of his shell and I thought, you know, his, his interest in, in Max and his, like his tiffs with Lucas were interesting and it it made him kind of go off on his own and he had his own side adventures and then he met up with Steve which was really fun so I don't I don't know like I I guess I could see why that might frustrate people who maybe thought that the party still needed somebody like Dustin in season one but come on like (laughs) they just got their friend back from another dimension where there's a demogorgon like 
these kids are going through changes. It's nuts that they're as adjusted as they are. Yeah, and he's understandably upset when Lucas does tell Max everything. But what's so great about Lucas doing that is Max doesn't even believe him. So it's like, yeah. you know, he went through the trouble of telling her everything and she sort of just thinks he's making up this story. And, you know, Max is a pretty resourceful kid. She can get around on her mm-hmm. own. She will skate everywhere if she has to. She'll take Billy's car out for a drive. You know, she'll stick a syringe in his neck to stop him from beating the crap out of Steve. You know, <laughs> she is resourceful in a way that the boys necessarily aren't she's a lot more brave at times than any of them are because when billy comes in and he's furious and they see him you know go at it with steve what are those kids going to do you know billy is so much bigger than all of them and you know yeah they're not the fighting type of boys in that way you know because they aren't the cool kids on campus at the middle school but you know max knows Billy well enough to where she has this idea and she just knows she has to go through with it like right away otherwise Mm -hmm. everything is going to end badly and I think she brings a new dynamic to the group even though she's you know not necessarily a member quite yet because it's mostly Mike who doesn't want her in the group too yeah at least to start because because Dustin really wants her to be kind of like in the fold but then there's the jealousy between him and Lucas because Max kind of shows that she's more interested in Lucas. So then Dustin kind of flips and he's kind of on Mike's side at that point. Yeah. I do want to dive into the Max and Lucas relationship a little more. And I think it's simply because Lucas is the one that ends up spending more time with her too. That is sort of why, you know, the two of them end up liking each other and she goes for Lucas more than Dustin because like you said Dustin's off Mm -hmm. having these side adventures because he doesn't really know how to handle things with Lucas and him liking the same girl and we see when they are at the junkyard Max climbs up the ladder to go check on Lucas basically and that's when she ends up telling him you know about being from California and Billy and all of this other stuff and even she's like I don't know why I'm telling you this (laughs) Yeah. Well, it it starts when, you know, I mean, they exclude her. Like, they really kind of shun her in a way, because even though they're, like, hanging out with her, they make it super clear to her that she's not in the group, which is, like, it's such a damaging thing yeah. to a kid to, like, have, you know, come to a new school to think that you found friends and then to find out that you're actually not their friend. You're just kind of, like, around. Like, what is your purpose with these people? So it started there. And then when Lucas kind of tries to make amends by, you know, asking that tall, dorky guy at the arcade to let them use the back room to, so that she can he can tell her this story, um, I think that goes, even though she doesn't believe it, I think that goes a long way with Max once she starts figuring out that this is true because that's what she wanted. She just wanted somebody to, like, trust her and to, like, give her something you know give her a friendship give her a relationship where you know you can share things between one another and that's why she ends up sharing something with him later and it's unfortunate for dustin that he just got that terrible advice from steve to just be like a <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you know show no interest because he did that and that's why you know she went up top to 
to talk to Lucas. Like really Dustin sort of drove them closer together. Not that I don't, I, I think Max and Lucas probably would have got together anyway, because they, they just had that chemistry. But, um, you know, that was just another moment where, where Dustin kind of sealed himself in, in a coffin of, of loneliness when it comes to, to Max. Like they, they can be friends, but Dustin and Max were not going to be. And that, that sort of drives the, the conversation that Dustin and Lucas ended up having later, I think at Joyce's house when, what were they doing? I think when they were like putting together the shed for, for Will. Yeah. Yeah. They had, they had like a little moment when they were digging through the trash or something and, that's when they start sorting these things out. But yeah, Max, Max is an interesting character. She was, it was very much her first season. Like we definitely get some of her story, probably more of her story than we do any of the other kids the first time around. But I don't know. What do you think they're going to do with Max going forward? How is she going to be like a member of the group, especially now that Eleven is back in the picture? Yeah. The thing is with Eleven She's back in the picture, but she's not quite fully there yet because you see Hopper go talk to Dr. Owens in the one month later scene in the final episode. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he asks if Elle can go out for one night. And that's obviously for the school dance, even though, you know, she clearly does not go to the school because she's not going anywhere, really. So it'll be interesting to see if where season three picks up if Elle is then able to go outside, you know, sort of try going to school and doing things like a normal kid would because her Mm. and Mike have had this chemistry since season one. And you could see that right off the bat because Elle was hiding out in his basement and everything like that. And like you said, the parents don't pay attention to their kids much because you would think that Mike really and Nancy's parents would notice <laughs> this girl just living in their basement eating a ton of egos, but you know, they don't. And we do. Yeah. Well, Mike's dad is the most oblivious character <laughs> yes. in television. Yeah. <laughs> He's like the stereotypical 80s TV dad to the max. Like he, he doesn't notice anything. Yeah. He doesn't even wake up to answer the door when Billy comes around looking for max and totally flirting with their mom which is a hilarious scene that scene was so funny (laughs) but one of the things i wanted to bring up here real quick before i forget is in that one month later scene nancy sort of sets dustin straight on steve's advice because she sees him off by himself Mm. and then asks him to dance and everything and you know you can tell everyone is sort of like paying attention to dustin now so Even though Steve really has this bond with Dustin after this season, Nancy is still sort of the older sister to all of these kids because their house is the hangout house. Mike's house was the house Mm -hmm. that everyone was at. And Dustin would kind of always, you know, poke around and say hi to Nancy whenever he saw her upstairs. Like he had a little crush on her the entire Mm -hmm. time anyway. (laughs) Of course, who I mean, who wouldn't? It's like your best friend's older sister. Like you have yeah. to. Like you have to have a crush on your best friend's older sister. And she even tells him, you know, like of all of Mike's friends, you're my favorite. And I think that's something that's sort of just really going to help boost Dustin's confidence for season three. Yeah. I love the snowball scene. Like, you know, it's it's such a great end to a period movie from that time. You know, like especially with kids these age. Like Think about what's important to kids that are coming like into hormones. 
it's school dances. Like everybody looks forward to the school dance, even though when like the school dance comes, most of the time you're just like standing around, just awkwardly looking at girls who are also standing around awkwardly looking at guys. Like that's what kids are looking forward to. So it's so great to like end the season on that and to have, you know, like Lucas and Max finally like, you know, seal the deal, so to speak on their like budding relationship and for 11 to be able to come and like spend time with Mike. That's a really big deal too. Um, for, for some reason, like the zombie boy thing kind of flips into Will's favor (laughs) at the very end. And then with Dustin, who's coming in like a stud and he's got a fair (laughs) faucet hair, like he's looking good. It was like, it was so like, okay, he gets turned down the first time and you're like, okay, you know, that's kind of funny because like they're leading your expectations to think that, you know, like this whole season he's been like a badass and he's like, you know, he's really coming into his own and he's, he's looking good. And then they turn down like, okay, that's funny. And then he keeps getting turned down. And then it's like super sad, like all of a sudden. And that's why it was so nice when Nancy comes over and offers to dance to them. And then all the other girls are like, oh, shoot. Like he asked me to dance. And I said, no, but now he's, he's dancing with Nancy Wheeler. She's, she's really popular. And it's, it's totally going to help him going forward. So love that. Love that ending. Yeah. Well, are there any other things about the various relationships that you want to talk about? Or do you want to move on to start talking about plot (laughs) yeah (laughs) well that's the great thing about the show right like i mean we've been talking for probably like 45 minutes just on characters because the characters in the show are so well written they're so well cast like i i love the show mostly for the characters like the plot is fine but it's mostly just rehashed 80s stuff and we can get into just you know like the the intricacies of it but it's a lot of like 80s horror stuff kind of mishmashed into a new concoction that we're calling stranger things but the charm of the show is easily the characters yeah absolutely and you mentioned dustin going on these side adventures and everything and we talked about him meeting up with steve but l gets this side adventure that is totally her own no one has any idea that she's back at this point. And Hopper is so busy trying to save the town yet again that he can't keep an eye on Eleven twenty four seven. So he's not even aware that she is gone at the point when she leaves. It isn't until, you know, a good amount of time passes where he's sort of like, okay, where were you? And everything like that when she makes her grand entrance at Will's house. But what did you think of the Lost Sister episode? Because this is the one that a lot of people have seemingly had mixed reviews on because it takes you not only out of the chaos that's going on, but it takes you out of Hawkins completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes you to Chicago. When I saw a couple of headlines saying like, you know, something like this episode of stranger things two is being met with mixed reviews or whatever. I I automatically knew which one they were talking about. The lost sister was sort of a departure. It was the most that we got in one shot of 11 story throughout this entire season, which kind of got drug out over little bits throughout most of the episodes. Um, I think it started fine because I, I liked that she was able to hunt down her mother. I think that reunion bit was important. It was when she went to Chicago and met up with the sort of tropey group of misanthrope kids that kind of started making me think like, ah, I don't, 
I don't know. <laughs> you know, they did like the thing where they give her the makeover and now she's looking all punk. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I still don't really know. And I don't think that we even got like a whole lot out of it for her. You know, I, I don't really know what that really added to her character. And that side adventure wasn't particularly exciting. What did you think? Yeah, what I got out of it was that, you know, she is able to now have this connection with her mom that she wasn't even aware she had because we see, you know, her mom gets the nosebleed as well. And Eleven is able to sort of see the memories that her mom has. And when she goes to leave, we see the channel flicker to just an eight on the screen and it's one of those things where I think it was important for Eleven to know that she wasn't the only one like this and that's sort of the whole Mm -hmm. point behind the lost sister scenario and this episode and I didn't dislike it as much as some other people did simply because I did see the point to it I just don't know if they needed you know an entire episode to make the point but just being able to get more of 11 in general this season, I think, was a good thing because we were seeing bits and pieces of her here and there, but she wasn't really interacting with anyone other than Hopper. So this gave her a chance to go out mm-hmm. and experience something for herself without Hopper's permission. So it was like her little rebellion, basically. And the fact that it only lasted one episode is totally fine with me because, you know, Eleven could be so destructive if she chose to rebel in the same way she did when she sort of threw a tantrum when Hopper threatened to take away the TV from her. And you can see just how much destruction she can cause. But when it comes down to, you know, killing people again, she realizes that's not Mm -hmm. something she wants to do anymore. She... Yeah, yeah she only wants to use her powers for the most part to do good and to help people. And she comes to that realization when she has one of her visions and she sees Hopper and then sees Mike and she knows right away that they're in trouble. And that just makes her drop everything because even though this girl that she's found is family in a sense because they went through the same thing she's really built up all these relationships Mm -hmm. with everyone back in hawkins so she knows that those relationships are important to her yeah i mean when you say she wants to help people i think specifically she just she wants to help her friends yeah you know the only friends that she's ever had like these people aren't her friends that like this this new character what what's what was her name roman yeah but the thing is she went by callie so i was getting very confused because there was a whole bunch yeah, of no names. No one was calling her Roman, but that's what she was listed as on IMDb. So I just went with Callie because that's what they were all calling her. It, it was a little yeah. confusing because I was like, maybe she was supposed yeah. to be called Roman, but they changed it and just IMDb didn't get the message. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I did the same thing. Like when I was looking up her, her character in IMDb, that's what I got. So um, sure. Roman, Callie, <laughs> eight, whatever, yeah. uh, whatever her name is supposed to be. Um, yeah, like I, uh, she's not her friend, you know. Like they they went through this shared thing, but uh, this girl obviously went obviously went a very different route, and I don't think Eleven was really cut out for that. And she wanted, you know, if she's going to use her powers at all, which I think are sort of a source of um, at the beginning shame, uh, and later just as she kind of comes into her powers, 
it's more of um she's trying to use them as a tool you know it's yeah. basically just the the story of of luke skywalker and an empire and jedi so and we even get some of that because <laughs> because uh because roman ate whatever she's like telling her to use her anger you know it was, it was a very uh jedi sith sort of moment so she sort of she splits from that and she heads back home because i think she knows in her heart that she is probably the only person that can help stop what's happening in hawkins right now yeah and before i forget i just want to take a quick break here and let everyone know a little more about loot crate so today's show is brought to you all by loot crate and they offer an opportunity to save 10 percent with the code bridge 10 and all you have to do to put that in is go to our link at trylootcrate.com forward slash geekdom pod it'll be in the show notes so you don't have to worry about memorizing it or anything like that and what you get with loot crate is for less than 20 bucks a month you can get six to eight items and that will include licensed gear apparel collectibles one-of-a-kind items and more they've done stranger things boxes they've done batman boxes and typically each box isn't a singular theme they'll put items from two or three different shows or just pop culture things in general in there so you are definitely getting a lot of stuff for the value of the box and you can save more again by going to trylootcrate.com forward slash geekdom pod and entering the code bridge 10 i just want to thank loot crate for sponsoring this episode but jacob i know we still have quite a bit of plot to talk about here and like you said we've been talking for quite a while just on characters and the main thing this season is Will's episodes. That's sort of what everything is revolving around because he's the only one who can see them. And so everyone is sort of poking and prodding him for answers on what he's going through. And then we have the shadow monster, which they end up calling the mind flayer. And the shadow monster enters yeah. Will basically and sort of takes over like a virus would and it's just one of those things where will starts saying these weird things like he likes it cold and things like that and that's really where we get into the grittiness of the plot for this season yeah yeah i mean we got a much bigger threat this time you yeah. know season one was this bad monster we had the demogorgon which was scary enough but sort of abstract and we're not really sure like what the the greater story is here and that's what we get in stranger things too we get this gigantic shadow monster um that kind of looks like this big smoky spider whenever we see him in um will's daymare episode <laughs> experiences yeah and he, you know i think at the end of the season i still have a lot of questions as to what the hell that is right and I think more so though, I'm trying to figure out how in the world it was caught on camera. Like I'm still trying to figure that out. It's never explained when Will takes Bob's camera trick or treating and he falls to the ground after, you know, getting scared by the, the mean older kids. It takes a shot at the sky for just like a, a minute or so. And it's long enough for Joyce to notice that there's something there, something in the sky. So she freeze frames it. She goes and gets her paper and crayons and she traces out the shadow monster. Like, okay, come on. If this thing is supposed to be in the upside down, how is she seeing it through the video camera in the real world? 
did you do you have any theories for this? Can you help me understand? I kind of do because Will is the only one who can see these things as far as we can tell in the real world. And I wonder if it's because he was the one holding the video camera, if because the video was be, being shot through Will's eyes because, you know, this was at a point where you still hold the video camera up to your eye. It's not like an iPhone where you just hold it out and kind of do it that way. So I'm wondering if because he had it held up to his eye and was walking around and if when he fell, he was still touching it. That is how the camera saw what he was seeing because it was like sort of this outer body experience for him. Mm. It was my understanding, though, that like when he goes into these episodes that he's like he's sort of still linked to the upside down so he can kind of like slip in and out of yeah. it mentally so that when he goes into these episodes, he his mind sort of like flips upside down, so to speak. And like that's why everything goes cold and blue and he has all the ash floating everywhere. It was my thought that his mind is in the upside down in those moments. And that's why we can see the monster. But in that moment, like it's, I don't know. It's just weird that the camera would be able to capture. That. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think about my theory too much. That's just my best guess based on everything that will has been going through because if he's experiencing it, he's, clearly frozen in real time because we see him he starts to see things from the upside down and he goes outside of the arcade towards the beginning of the season yeah. so even though he's seeing the upside down he's still walking and moving in the real world as if you know he's sort of still on the same plane but like you said his mind isn't mm-hmm is very con that that was like the most confusing part to me, but it, it wasn't even that yeah. substantial. So I, I it didn't matter that much of the plot, but it's just something I was thinking about. But uh yeah, plot wise though, I you know, I think it was a interesting narrative, definitely having like all the the demagogues was cool or the demodogs, um, as Dustin calls them. Like they were they were neat, definitely cool creatures, very inspired by eighties. 70s 80s sort of horror lots of alien references there there was definitely more tension throughout the whole thing there was a lot more uh action a lot more gore than i would have expected from this season but i still think that they left like most of the main threat for later seasons with the mind flayer because at the end of it they kind of figured out what this thing was um which was more or less the idea that I had throughout most of the season. I, I kind of got the gist of what they were doing with it pretty early on. Um, so when the characters finally caught up, like there still wasn't a whole lot that they could do to resolve their situation other than to have Eleven seal the gate, which I guess means that the Mind Flayer can't send anything else through. How does how do you think that's going to play into season three? Like the gate is closed. Is there going to be another gate opened? Does the Mind Flayer have other means to access the real world? What are the Mind Flayer's goals? Like what does it want to do with the right side up? Yeah, that's something I haven't really put too much thought into just yet. But I did notice at the very end where we see the upside down again, it looks like I don't know if that's exactly the shadow monster again, because it did look quite a bit bigger even this time than it did when we first saw mm -hmm. it in one of Will's episodes. So 
it feels like these upside down monsters just sort of keep evolving and finding new ways to terrorize the right side up. So I think I wouldn't put it past the scientists at Hawkins lab to do something stupid and open up the gate again, first of all. So <laughs> there is always that scenario, but I'm wondering if maybe we do end up seeing eight again and she sort of retaliates against 11 and that somehow opens up the gate again because she has these similar powers that can clearly open or close the gate like 11 does. Yeah. Well, hmm. how many how many more kids do you think that there were at Hawkins lab? I honestly have no idea because it wasn't like the lab was dedicated to these kids. But if you have eight mm -hmm. and 11, I feel like there has to at least be 11 of them then. Because they are yeah, clearly maybe. numbering well, who knows? them. The first seven could have died. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I think the bigger question is sort of where are nine and 10 more so than one through seven because also could have died. Yeah. It's just <laughs> one of those things where we don't really know because while 11 gets those scenes that her mom has in her memories, her mom only remembers ever seeing two kids. And because her mom was being operated on or experimented with in the lab as well, mm -hmm. we don't really know if her mom saw anything else and she just wanted 11 to see these specific memories and the fact that mm -hmm. her mom now has sort of these same powers too it's just like okay well we saw how many different files her mom had when 11 was looking mm -hmm. for eight so if any of those kids are ones that her mom was also right about I feel like there's so many possibilities on where they could go with this because we have no clue how many new characters they're going to introduce again in season three or if they plan on, for the most part, keeping it how it is now with the new characters they introduced mm -hmm. this season. But I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we could probably do a whole episode just on theories on where the show is going to go. Yeah. Well, okay, so... On the topic of her mom, there's the new aspect to Eleven's powers where she's able to use the television or the radio signals to sort of seek out people that she's looking for. And she uses that to keep track of Mike and to locate her mother and to find this other girl from the Rainbow Room in Chicago. Um, what do you think about that? I honestly think that... 11 isn't even aware of all of the power she has because she's still so young and you know she had just escaped from the lab the previous year and mm. no one at the lab really ever explained to her what she could do so I feel like as the show continues we're going to see a variety of different things that 11 can do simply because no one has any idea how far her powers can go and you see with eight that she obviously seems to be slightly older first off. So she's had more time to sort of figure out what she can do and how she can do those things. And unfortunately she uses them to mostly rob people and rob banks and things like that. But the fact that she could mess with people's minds, 
I think is something that we haven't really seen Eleven do. Eleven's powers seem to more so be moving things physically. Telekinetic. Yeah. So, you know, we see her try to move a train car, basically, when she is with eight. And we saw her flip a van in season one. So a lot of what she can do affects people more so physically than it does mentally. And it'll be interesting to see Mm -hmm. if she does end up developing more mental powers i liked those mental powers yeah i thought that those were those are kind of interesting because realistically she can more or less do everything that 11 does without actually causing any damage (laughs) the only difference is you know like if that would work with like a with i mean you can't like knock back a demodog (laughs) with with just thought if that kind of power would even work on them being like that so she's definitely not as strong as 11 but i thought that was kind of an interesting power that wasn't something that i've ever really seen in any sort of like pop culture comic book media before yeah and like i said because she's so young it really feels like we've only barely touched on everything 11 can do because you know she's still trying to figure out how to say certain words let alone figure out how to (laughs) find out what new powers she has yeah for sure i think we're gonna get more from her next season i think probably definitely like her powers are gonna get put to the test like you can see that happening we have this gigantic powerful uh virus-like entity who who seems to be more than it was in this season like i think that this was just one stab at trying to like bring down the town of hawkins for whatever reason like why why is this town the target of this gigantic entity you know start small go big maybe i don't know but uh (laughs) we're definitely gonna get more of her but what else um in the notes you had something for like uh the setting yeah i've been watching quite a few shows lately that take place in certain time periods so this is in the 80s and like Mindhunter was in the late 70s and I've just really been amazed at how well some of these Netflix shows do with the settings and the little details like you know the three musketeers wrapper not looking like the bright silver that it is now it's sort of you know this definitely 80s vibe to it and just you know the gas cans that they use mm-hmm. they aren't like the big red plastic gas cans that we use now they're the little you know metal ones that are all grungy and gross and everything like that and i think just the fact that they find these things and put so much attention into the little things is really aside from the characters what makes the show work because if they film this and it didn't feel like the 80s that would just totally throw you out of everything and you have like the giant walkie talkies like you said the VHSC mm-hmm. that Bob is so obsessed with and the fact that Radio Shack still exists first of all you know and is a big deal that's something that I think just adds a little to not only the comedic value of the show but just to the overall feeling of it yeah i i was kind of like i was looking into the Duffer brothers i don't know much about them but i i was kind of thinking like a lot of this is very good and how much of this is just you know production staff and how much of it is coming from the creators and writers of the show and the Duffer brothers were born in early 1984 which means by the time they were the kids age like the the losers club they were in the 90s. Yeah. So 
it's not like they really lived through this, but it is very well done. Like looking at the signs, like the arcade was awesome. That yeah. was so well done. Like the arcade just nailed it from the, the spinning sign to, to the inside, like super, super well done. And right next to the arcade was family video. And at first I was thinking like, Oh man, that's kind of like, that's out of place. Right. Cause at least in my town, the family video, which yes, still does exist has the exact same sign because they have <laughs> like never changed their logo Yeah, <laughs> from, from when they started in like the late seventies, early eighties, they have just maintained the, the logo. So at first I thought like, Oh man, I just caught like a, a little, little whoopsie, but Nope, it's uh it is accurate. And I just thought like, man, like there's, there's definitely detail in this. Like they're, ta- they're looking at the things that are popular in this time. Like radio shack was just kind of like coming up and, you know, I, th- looking at uh the one shot that we got inside the radio shack when bob's at work there's not there's like nobody there like (laughs) it's still this is all very much hobbyist stuff like it's a hobbyist store it's not like a place where like in the 90s or even the early 2000s you would think of radio shack as a place that you need to go and you needed to get that that audio cord or batteries or you know something for your digital camera um i spent so much time in Radio Shack as a kid buying cords for my like speaker system that I had rigged up in my room. And I love that store for that. But like back then there wasn't, that wasn't like the place to go for that electrical thing that you needed because that wasn't as popular. Yeah. The Walkman was just starting to like kind of become popular. I think uh, Nancy mentioned having a Walkman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just throwing like a ton of like technological references in there to sort of like keep the period in on people's minds, of course. But yeah, I, I think they definitely nailed all of that. Everything like p- packaging and marketing wise was totally on point. They do a very good job, and I, I'm glad that you said that about uh, Mindhunter because that's the next show that I'm gonna I'm gonna get into. Oh yeah, it is so 70s. It almost hurts to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome (laughs) yeah that's that's what made it really great too but with this too they also nail the music selections and i'm not talking about the soundtrack i'm talking about like the song syncs that they have in there you know you have the boys dressing up as the ghostbusters which i happen to have just watched recently for substreams 31 days of halloween so it, it was one of those things where because i had seen it so recently I was like, yep, this is exactly how it should be. (laughs) And you have Lucas who puts on a Venkman, you know, jumpsuit there. And so they have two Venkmans and that sort of causes this tension. And, you know, it's kind of implied that Lucas should have been, I believe his name is Wilson. And, you know, that sort of starts this little argument between him and Mike and Lucas is sort of like, you want me to be him just because I'm black sort of thing. And Mike's like, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. It's just one of those moments where you can tell they are definitely 80s kids because, you know, who else is going to be arguing about the Ghostbusters? And, you know, people will still dress up as Ghostbusters for Halloween in 2017 because of how, you know, comedic the movie was and the fact that they remade it recently with an all-woman team. And Mm -hmm. it's just one of those moments where even their proton packs and everything, like Dustin is so excited about it too. And he's just, you know, they're just these giant nerds and they just want to go dressed up as the Ghostbusters and they're sort of annoyed when like one of the ladies handing out candy calls them exterminators. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I that little trap that he had that he kept uh 
Darden. Oh, mm-hmm. so good. Like, I would have felt so cool if, yeah. <laughs> if I had that as a kid. You know what I mean? Like, you could put yourself in these kids' shoes. Or at least I hope you can because, you know, it's it's fun to, like, think back and, like, think of how important Halloween costumes were to you. And, and all these little moments that they stick into the show for these kids to kind of give you an opportunity to feel a little bit like younger just just for just a second um but as far as music goes uh i I think you should put a link in your show notes to one of the more recent episodes of song exploder where kyle dixon and michael stein kind of go over how they made the the theme for the show very awesome episode um but as far as like the the syncs go like the popular songs that they put into the show um do you do you have a take on this? Because there there have been some takes. Uh, I can I'll send you a link to this Pitchfork art of article too. Uh, that just that said that the pop soundtrack that they had for this season was uninspired and just too obvious. Do you have any kind of take on that at all? You know, it's funny. I'm actually going to be writing an article solely on the music this week because I didn't touch on that in any of my recaps because I knew going into those that I wanted to do something separate on the music being a giant music nerd that I am. So, you know, my parents listen to a ton of 80s music, even still to this day. It's like, you know, on the radio, they'll stop on the 80s channel or something like that. And it's just one of those things where I feel like a lot of 80s songs, you want people to be able to know the songs. And even though you're going to have a ton of kids watching this show, their parents are going to know these songs. So you don't want to pick like obscure 80s songs that maybe not everyone knows. So the fact that they have, you know, The Police, Bon Jovi, you even get some country music thrown in there when you have Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton's Islands in the Stream playing when Bob and Joyce are dancing along to it in the house. And I think well, Bob loves Kenny Rogers. Yeah. And they even joke about that. So it's like, okay, you can't make that joke and not put a Kenny Rogers song in the show. So, you know, I didn't think it was uninspired necessarily. It might have been stereotypical in a sense because you have, you know, Billy working out to, you know, a totally different type of music than what we've really been hearing because, you know, he's sort of this like, hardcore hair metal guy sort of thing and he has the hair to go with it too first of all so yeah I I probably disagree with that quite a bit because you know it's the 80s and I feel like you have to pick some of the hit songs and they weren't even necessarily picking like Bon Jovi's biggest hit I believe they played Runaway by Bon Jovi and that was in the episode where Elle is getting on the bus to, you know, go on her little adventure. And it's one of those things where, you know, they didn't pick Living on a Prayer or something that was like, Don't Stop Believing by Journey. (laughs) You know, some of those 80s songs that have been played over and over and over again. I think they did do a good job of sort of balancing the songs that still get played on the radio and some songs that maybe don't get quite as much attention from the 80s anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're doing a period piece, like you, I mean, obviously you're going to use music from the period. You, you have to. And if you're going to do that, why not use ones that people are going to recognize? Like, this is a fun show. Stranger Things is supposed to be fun. It's about kids. It's about what kids are into. And kids are into popular music. And, you know, there's there's songs in there that I'm I'm a huge 80s fan. And I'm not overly familiar with Scorpions. 
Like, I don't, Yeah, <laughs> there are songs in there that I don't know very well. I, I think that they did a, a, a fine job. I don't have a very strong take on the pop music that they chose for this season. I think they did a good job. A lot of the songs in there I liked a lot. And yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine with it. I mean, they had some Duran Duran that's good enough for me. Yeah, and I don't know if I necessarily caught all of the songs because I was taking notes to recap it and then sort of taking side notes on the music. So I'll probably have to go look up all of the songs that were in it. But I did, you know, pick out some of the bigger moments, like I said, with Bon Jovi's Runaway and the Kenny and Dolly song and some of the ones where the songs really stood out in the moment. And there were times like the high school party. I'm sure there were quite a few songs playing during that, but I was more focused on the story in that moment, not necessarily the music because it was a typical party scene. Of course, there's going mm-hmm. to be music, you know? Yeah. That was a fun party scene too. I I read an article yeah. that had a, uh, that kind of broke down some of the stuff that was going on in the background. And there's just, there's some like funny, tiny little moments, nothing like major that's, that's like groundbreaking, but just fun stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that about wraps it up. I think this is one of the longer episodes we've done in a little while here. So (laughs) there's so much to say about this show just because of how much attention to detail they have in it. And the last thing I want to ask you before we go is, did it live up to the expectations you had going into it? Yeah. You know what? After I finished season one, I was, I was, I think it's because I finished it so long after the hype. I I liked the show a lot, but I didn't think it was like anything groundbreaking or incredible. Um, having watched season two, though, I like season two much better than season one. And it definitely beat my expectations because I don't think my expectations were too incredibly high. Because I think I just watched season one so passively. Uh, knowing the characters better now, I'll go back and probably revisit season one um, from the beginning just to kind of refresh. But... Altogether, yeah, I I like this season a lot. I think season three is going to be really great. I like the characters now um, a lot more than I did even Joyce. So yeah, bring on season three. Yeah, they definitely did a good job with the character development, I think. And plus the fact that season one entirely revolved around Will without really seeing him. I think season two gave that actor a really good chance to show us just how much he was capable of doing as far as the acting and everything goes. And I think he did a really great job with that. For sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jacob, for coming on. This was definitely fun to do, even though I wrote probably close to 4,000 words on the season. I was like, (laughs) I still have so many thoughts about it. (laughs) Well, you caught me at a good time because I, I basically finished it two nights ago so yesterday was the only opportunity that i really had to talk to anybody about it and uh i I had like 10 minutes to talk to somebody before class about their just initial thoughts of the season so this was good had to get it out yeah good good hour and a half or so here but you know i know we had gone pretty nerdy and geeky on our previous episode so i was like okay Yes, I still want to do episodes like that, but I really need to talk to someone about Stranger Things, too. So, you know, it worked out nicely for both of us. And we made it through the entire thing without mentioning Plex. Yes. (laughs) Or my podcast problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that is a successful podcast there. And 
again, thank you so much. And of course, to the listeners, as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Later.